If you got a Bible, open it with me to the book of Genesis. Um, the beginning, if you need to use your table of contents, totally cool. I need to use mine for lots of things. I still have the NIV this morning. You're welcome. <laughs> the, um, while we're getting there, I um, just want to remind you that um, uh, why we do what we do. We desire to live in community with other people. Um, those are people that know Christ and those are people that do not know Christ. Um, mainly, you can summarize that by just saying that the church is not a building, right? And um, it's a people. We are the people. Um, we are the church. That's the word Jesus uses. It's not a building. It's not a place that you go and find God. It's a people that are following God. And so um, the cool thing about that is you can take that to your neighborhood. You can sit on your porch in your pink lawn chair. And um, someone here had it. I stole it out of the hallway. Borrowed. I borrowed it. I'm not taking it home. Um, although my wife would probably like it. But um, yeah, you just, we, you're taking Christ where you go. You're taking him to your neighborhood, to your grocery store, to your workplace, to, to wherever you go. He goes because... He's in you, right? And then also you want to take, um, hopefully you're going together. Hopefully you are um, living in community with those that are following Christ so that you encourage one another. You pick each other up when you fall down. You, you are there to comfort when they're hurting and to rejoice when they're happy. And so we want to live together in community. Um, we want to learn more about who Christ is. That's why we structure this Sunday morning time the way we do. We have a couple songs so that we can just sort of take a deep breath after whatever went on in your world this morning when you got here. Um, and so then we were able to take time and to dig into the Word of God and see what the Bible tells us, um, what God tells us, not just what I'm telling you. Don't take my word for it. You really should um, make sure that the Word is um, saying what I'm telling you it's saying. Not just, don't, just, don't just buy into me because... I'm just broken and fragile and flawed like you guys, and so I may miss something. Um, I pray that I don't, but um, anyway, that's what we center our time around this, so then we have three songs at the end so that we can sort of reflect and, and let that sink into our lives and let that seed that God has given us do that. Um, I feel like it's always important for us to note that we do this not just so we can know more about the Bible. Um, I used to know all the books of the Bible in order. I used to could tell you them backwards. It was a cool party trick. Um, and I know lots of verses from a lifetime of growing up in church, but that's not the point of the Bible so that we can Bible drop on people. It's not so that we can, um, even so that you can debate atheists or whatever and use scripture. That's not the point of knowing the Bible. The point of knowing the Bible is so that you can get a really good picture of who Jesus is and so that we will become even more like him. Um, that's why it's important to learn so that we can become, it's we're modeling him, we're disciples, our desire is to be like our master. And that's the point. That's why we do that. Um, the more we look at Jesus, the more we realize that he constantly was serving. He was constantly laying down his life for those um, who frankly didn't deserve it, including me, right? He, uh, I mean, think about this. He washed the feet of the dude that sold him out. Like his buddy that betrayed him and sold him out, Jesus washed his feet hours before that all went down. He was constantly laying down his life for other people. And he's modeling that so that we as his followers can do that too. So we want to serve here. We want to find opportunities to do that in Valonia. Um, not just in Valonia, but I mean not just in the valley, although we have people that serve in the band and in the nursery and all these different places and ways to set up and tear down. Um, but also we want to find ways to make much of Jesus in our community. But ultimately, we want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's the... Um, uh, 
end game, that's the goal, that's the mission that Christ gave us, was to make disciples of all nations, not just of our nation. And so um, we ultimately want to go there. We currently partner with uh, a couple of different missionaries and organizations so that we can, um, at the moment in our current situation, still have a, still have a partnership in that. I always... Um, like if I'm just being honest, it's real easy for me to get scared about money and to not want to give it away. You know what I mean? Like to just want to hold it and be like, well, I know, but we're, we got a building that we don't know how to pay for. And I just, if I give my money to this people and for that mission project and this thing and that thing, then we won't have any of the money. And, um, and then I have to take a deep breath and realize that none of the money is mine, right? Like God gave us all the money anyway. It's all his in the first place. He allows us to be stewards of that. Um, and so we don't ever want to even... Even now, like if, if, we went, if we went bankrupt and had to get rid of everything because we gave too much money to advance the gospel overseas, I'm, I'm cool with that. I mean, I'm, I'm praying that doesn't happen, but I'm, but I'm okay. If that's the reason it happens, then, that, then we're good, right? So, um, so that's why we do what we do. Um, everything that we do as a valley, we attempt to filter through the system. We try to look at things. We don't just do it to do it. We don't just do it because we're supposed to do it or because churches are supposed to have that program or that thing. We want to know that it's intentional to make disciples. So, all right. If you have a Bible, open it. Genesis. And um, Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to look at. Um, really early, we've been looking at the, the story of like our beginnings. Um, remember two weeks ago, we looked at the Genesis 1 and God's, we saw God, this overview of God creating everything and, and everything was good. And then last week, we saw the story of the first wedding and God created humans and we took an in-depth look at that relationship. And so that was in my Bible. All the way to here, and that counts like the table of contents and the places that I could have wrote down, like if I got married and had babies and things like that. The church record. There's your church letter, Jen, right there. There it is. There's our letter that we were looking for. I was always, I was always disappointed there wasn't an actual church letter. Um, so when you change churches, they don't send you the copy of your letter that you get when you get saved. Apparently that's fictional. I was really disappointed by that. I thought that was something that would be cool. Apparently I can make my own. But anyway, all of that in my front of my Bible gets to here where everything was awesome. Right? And um, so we can all dance around like the Lego people and sing that song up till here. And then in chapter 3 that we're going to look at today and the rest of our story, it doesn't go so well. All right. So let's look in Genesis 3. And we'll find out why right off the bat. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord, had, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. All right, let's just stop for a second. So here's what's going down. Adam, Eve, placed in a garden in paradise. All the trees, all beautiful, everything is, is awesome, and it's all everywhere that you want it to be. It's everything that you want it to be. And then all of a sudden, we did this picture of the woman walking through the garden, and it says there's the spotlight now on this serpent. On one of God's creation, one of God's creatures, we know that serpent now as, as a snake, right? Um, which you may have mixed emotions about, but I feel like if you poll the population, like 90% of us are pretty much against it, right? Or we're pretty much against the snake. We're just like, mm, I'm against it. So here's kind of why. Now, it's sort of understood. We don't see it written that way. 
We don't see, hey, here is the enemy, here is Satan. It doesn't just say, now Satan entered the snake. Um, but it's, it's, it's implied here that Satan is who is working and operating through the serpent. Now, if you're like me, there's a whole lot of questions that come, right? Okay, so the world is perfect. God made it. It's all good. There's no sin. Nothing is flawed. Nothing is evil. Everything is awesome. And then all of a sudden, the serpent is more crafty, and he shows up, and all of a sudden, there's evil in the world. And my question wants to go immediately to, huh, how that, where, 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 where did that come from? Where did, how did Satan become evil? Why is he on earth talking through a snake? Did the snake talk before? Eve doesn't seem to think it's weird in a second. So I have all these questions about Satan, all these questions about where did evil originate, all of these things that I want answers to. But this story is not that story. This story is what happened to us. This story is about why we are the way we are. Now, what I mean by that is, you can poll everybody across the board, regardless of their religious affiliation or their spiritual beliefs. And unless they're just ignorant, they will all confirm and agree upon the statement, something is wrong with us. Right? It's why Dr. Oz has a show. Right? All the things that are wrong with us. That we can, and, and Garcinogobonia or whatever, that you can have to fix it, right? Like whatever, all the fear-mongering that comes. We, we all know something is wrong. Oprah knows something is wrong. Like everybody knows that there, the world is broken. Now, they're all going to have various reasons behind why it's broken. And they're all going to have various opinions on how you fix it. But everyone is agreeing that it is broken. This is giving us the answer as to when and how it became broken, which is actually going to be a fairly important thing for us. So we see the serpent. We don't understand exactly how he got there. We don't understand why Satan is using him. We don't need to know all of those things. We just need to look at the particular, for our purpose this morning, the incident that takes place. The woman says, so the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So here's a snake. It's, I don't know if it walked up, it slithered up, whatever. It speaks to her. Since I saw the Jungle Book Jordan, I imagine it's Scarlett Johansson's voice. I would probably have listened to her also. Right? So the snake rolls up in and it says, listen. Did, and, and it begins with a statement that has, does a couple things to us. The first thing it does is it creates this attitude that, is, that has been foreign to this point in time. It interjects this attitude into our heart. The serpent is essentially, in its statement, it's essentially mocking and sneering, turning up its nose at, right? You, should, you probably have been familiar with this if you've ever had anybody question your faith. And you go, they go, really? Right? Yeah, really? You believe that? Really? And it's, this, it's essentially like a, it's just a mocking sneer. I am, um, unfortunately, this isn't really our confession time, but I'm, I'm not the best at parenting. If my wife didn't live in our house, our children would, would be out of control and they would all be rude and they would all be smart Alex and they would mock people the way I mock them. And um, like constantly, Julie's like, really? 
really, that was the way you needed to handle that? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was probably not the best dad of the year moment. When, I, when they came in there, like, whining and crying at me, they hit me with a thing. And I'm like, did they hit you? Oh. And Julie's like, like she's, like she's Jim from the office constantly in our, my world. No, no, So the attitude, though, is that same thing. It's, it's belittling the situation. It's, it's sneering at, it's scoffing at, and it's bringing in this, interjecting this attitude of, mm, of uneasiness into the heart of the woman, right? Now, he's essentially mocking them. Now, I found, here's the thing, most people... As a youth pastor, you, you're, you're very, good youth pastors are very aware of the fact that predominantly a, a high percentage of the children that come into their youth program are there for, let's say, six years. If you're in a traditional Arkansas youth program where they go from seventh grade to twelfth grade, they graduate high school, they go off to college, and there was, it's an alarming percentage. I don't know what it is currently, but one, last time I looked, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of people, that, 80% of students that grew up in youth group, go to college, just dropped church. Like 80%. Every good youth pastor is terrified by that. <laughs> You're going to invest six years of your life discipling these kids, and they're going to go to college, and they're going to walk. And they may or may not ever come back. Most, I'm believing, of those students that go off to college, or in general, people that lose their faith in general, do not lose their faith through some type of intellectual argument. It's not like an atheist professor sat down with them after class. I was like, look here, 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 here. This is why what I believe makes more sense than what you believe. And they went, oh, wow, yeah. That's not how it goes down. I mean, there's, there's probably some, some cases that that happens. But I would say the majority happens from the attitude, that mocking attitude. Really, that's what you believe? Oh, okay. So you're, you're waiting to sleep with your girlfriend or boyfriend until you get married? Really? Really? That's why? Oh. Oh, it's oh it's religious? Is that that's why? Oh. Really? Really? And eventually we get tired of being on the really side of it. Right? We want to be the one that stepped over the line and goes, Really? That's what you believe, really? There's this attitude that begins to shift. And it shifts our stance and it shifts our faith and it changes. And drifts. And you see it right out the gate. Right out the gate is the snake is questioning what God said. As he's mocking, as he's sneering at what God said. So there's this attitude of our heart that shifts. The second thing that he does right here, if you'll see it right there in the same line, did God really say is a lie, right? The lie he is bringing into our heart right there, into our minds, he's now causing Eve to do what? to backpedal and to think about what did God say. Huh. He's now questioning the integrity of God, right? In the, in the look, what, look what Eve says. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but, but God did say, we must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. If we go back and we look at God's direction to Adam, he didn't say you couldn't touch it. 
in all likelihood, either Adam in his instruction to Eve or Eve in her instruction to herself added that. Now, this is just a side note. Don't add to the Bible. It's essentially what the Pharisees did, right? We took the commandments, and they kept making fences before fences before fences. Um, when I was a kid, several times, my parents took us on vacation to Stone Mountain, Georgia. And um, it's the largest piece of rock. It's like one giant rock, and you could climb up it. I never climbed up it because I'm lazy. My friend Dustin doesn't actually work on Sundays, and so he likes to call me in the middle of things. So, my fault. Um, yeah, I used to take the sky car up to the top. Um, one, it was cooler. Two, it was less walking, right? And you didn't sweat as bad. And then you'd get to the top, and you could see. It was awesome. You could see out all over the thing. Everyone was very small at the bottom. It was really, really cool. Now, wisely, as you got closer to the edge, there was a fence, a chain-link fence that wrapped around the face of the rock so that you didn't just get too far over and go, oh, oh, and then down you went, and then everyone has to shut down the park, right? So the fence was not on the edge. The fence was way before the edge. So that gave the people that were up there time, if you were a moron that jumped the fence and started running for the edge, someone could try to stop you, right? This is essentially what the Pharisees did in Jesus' time. They put up laws to protect the laws, to protect the laws, and to protect the laws. Now, what happened then, and why I say this, don't add to the Bible, it's okay to give yourself space. It's okay to, to stay away from the edge. That, that's wise. That's wise. But understand that it's a fence before the edge. Because what happens here, and when in Jewish, Jewish um, history, and in Jewish reporting of this, when they told the story, look at what the snake says next. The snake says, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Eve says, you can't eat it. You're not even supposed to touch it. The Jewish history says what the snake did in that moment was shove Eve up against the tree. So now she touched it. And then the snake goes, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. Here's what God says. If we're not careful, we get caught up worshiping the fences, following the fences. And then when someone steps over our fence, we flip out. And it calls, in, and it calls into question all kind of things that we previously thought were true. When in reality, what was taught and what was true hasn't shifted at all. It's just our on easy ground over here. Now, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't stay away, f away from sin in some respects. Absolutely. You should make fences and get for yourself and stay back. I'm not saying Eve shouldn't have not even touched it. That was a good choice. But she needed to know that that was not what God said so that when that happened, if that happened, there's a difference. But ultimately, what's important here is not that he shoved her up against a tree or didn't, although my, my movie picture, that's really kind of cool. He's a big snake, right? So she shoves him up against a tree or whatever, but his response here is, you will not surely die, the serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Now, you see what the snake doesn't do? He doesn't deny the existence of God. Right? He's not like, what God? What God? I think you just had a bad dream. Well, he doesn't really, it's not really there. It was impossible to deny the existence of God. He, he was there. He made them. He was there. He officiated their wedding. Well, whatever. 
He was there. He knew, they knew that. So the snake doesn't go there. He doesn't deny the rules of God, does he? He doesn't say, oh, he didn't say don't touch it. He didn't say don't eat from it. No, no, he didn't say that. That's not what he meant. He says, no, he said that. What's he, what's, what's he undermining? He's undermining the motivation of God. He's undermining the goodness of God, the graciousness of God, the love God had for his children. He's undermining that. He's saying, essentially, God, does, God just doesn't want you to be like him. God is actually out to keep you down. He is desire, his desire is to steal your fun. He doesn't want you to eat the fruit because then there's a whole new world that's open to you. Have you ever thought about, um, well, let's just think about this first. There's a story Jesus tells, right? It's, um, it's a story of the prodigal son. And um, here's the summary. Right? Don't do it. We don't have to tell the whole thing. There was a, da- a dad had two boys, a younger brother and an older brother. The older brother, if we look at the whole story, was historically very, very obedient, very, very mature, very, very, maybe mature, but he was very, very loyal to his father. He did what dad asked. He followed the rules. He was a good kid. His younger brother, on the other hand, basically told dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. And then took his money and went off and gambled and spent it on prostitutes. Now, if we look at that story in light of the lie the serpent is issuing and in, in, in introducing to our world. They're both guilty, right? First of all, the serpent li- lies and says that the goodness of God. Now, both of them manifest it in different ways. The older brother, Mr. Goody Goody, Mr. Follow All the Rules, he follows all of the rules to a moralistic T so that he can earn God's favor, so that God will be pleased with him so that good things will happen to him. It's a works-based thing. Now, why does he have to do that? He has to do that because ultimately at the core, he does not believe that God loves him and wants to give him good things. He's only going to give him good things if he earns it, if he's loyal, if he's obedient, if he does, if he does, if he does. Now, the other brother on the other side of the same, same reason, different result. He doesn't believe God is good and wants to give him good things. And so what's he do? He's got to go find all the good things. God doesn't want me to have like relationships with prostitutes. God doesn't want me to go out here and blow all my money on wild living. Doesn't want me to do drugs and drink and what all these things. He's just out to steal all my fun. He doesn't really want good things for me. So I got to go get them myself. Both boys are a result of the underlying lie that is introduced into all of us. That God is ultimately set against you. That he's given you all of these rules so you will fall in line and listen to him because he's the creator and you're the creation. Get it. But it's taken away the grace. It's taken away the love. It is interjected into our world a fundamental lie that is at the core of what you and I believe and act, right? It's why... That's why we go from sometimes, there's people that go from job to job to job to job. Or we just get one more promotion, and this will satisfy me. 
If I just get one more raise, this will satisfy me. If I could live in this kind of house, this will make me feel accomplished. This will make me feel validated. This will make me important and valued, et cetera, et cetera. Or the way I see it a lot and saw it, especially in students and continue to see it sometimes play out the other way is in relationships. This person will meet my needs. This person will validate me, my existence. This person will make me be important. This person will make me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That lie plays out in our world because we cannot be content with our relationship with God and allowing him to meet all of our needs because at the very core we've bought into the lie that he ultimately is not about that. And at the bottom line, he doesn't want that for me. So when we say God is for your good, we're really quick to go, yeah, then why did a tornado wipe out my town? Why is there cancer? Why is there plague? Why is there et cetera? Like, wh- why? We're really quick to spin it. Why? Because down deep in our hearts, we have bought the lie that ultimately God is not for our good. Ultimately, he does not want good things for us. He is not after my happiness. He is not after my joy. He is completely and utterly after lording his power over us which is exactly what Satan introduces here. The lie that you and I have, whether we want to believe it or not, have bought into it. Look in the next verse, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Now we could have, I, I always wonder what would have happened if Eve would have just eaten and handed it to Adam and he'd be like, I don't know if God would have just been like, Eve too. I don't know what would happen. We don't have to wonder because, because Adam didn't do that, right? Because his naked wife turned around and handed him fruit, and he went, yes, ma'am, and there, and there we were. It wasn't like he, she had to hunt him down. He was there. And so they, they both dive into this. Now, the int- this, is, this is that original sin that, that is given into us right here. This is where we bought the lie of the enemy, and we opened the door to sinfulness in our lives. Now, this is the sin of the tree, right? It's a tree sin. They took the tree, they ate the tree, they ate the fruit from the tree, and everything went south. Have you ever stepped back and gone, really, though? It was just like, I mean, it was fruit. Everyone likes it as it was an apple. Let's just, I prefer to go with like plum. I don't know. Just something different. Like, I don't know what the fruit was. Maybe it was something awesome and amazing. I'm sure it was something unique and, and just glowed or something. And so, whatever, whatever happened, that, they took that and ate that, but there's been times where I step back and go, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like Adam turned around and just like killed Eve. You know what I mean? Or, like it wasn't, this, it wasn't just like he went on a rampage and started just slaughtering all the animals in creation. It, was, it wasn't this crazy thing. It was just like a simple, I ate from the tree I wasn't supposed to eat from. So What? Here's, here's the so what. Why is the tree a big deal? Well, why couldn't God just explain why? Right? That's what we other ones say. Why, why can't we just, God just explain? He'd be like, here's the tree. Okay, children. Walks him over there. Look at this tree. Do you see the glowing fruit on the tree? And they're like, yeah. Okay, I don't want you to eat from that tree. And they're like, okay, why? Why not? He could have even, like, you know, I don't imagine just, like, up above the tree, he all of a sudden shows them this crazy, like, thing you see in all the cool movies where it's, like, fast forward to the future and everybody's killing each other and the whole world explodes. Where he's just like, you death, illness, sickness, disease, brother against brother, murder, war, 
pestilence, national disasters, and he just shows them all of these huge things. And they go, huh, yeah, no thanks. I like that tree better anyway. Glowing kind of creeps me out, right? But why, didn't he, why doesn't he do that? Why he doesn't do that is, what's Adam and Eve doing if that's the situation? And they choose, they, they choose to obey based on all the facts, based on all the future. Where's the, there's no trust in that, is there? They're not trusting God because he's good and because he's God. What are they doing? They're doing cost-benefit analysis. Right? Like, well, I, yeah, don't do that. I mean, so you're telling me if I eat this fruit, eventually a bear might eat me. Hmm. That seems like a bad idea. Move along, right? Who's in the driver's seat? Who's making that decision? They are. They're, they're still being the ones that are in control, which is ultimately what this sin is about. It's ultimately what happens. Like, the sin behind all of our sin is that we want to choose our own life. We want to rule ourselves. We want to basically want to be our own God, right? So, like, let's just pretend that this is the throne of your life. At the core of all of my sin, I am firmly seated here, right? This is lower than I anticipated, and, and it's not designed to sit on the edge of. I learned that earlier, but I'm afraid if I lean all the way back in there, I may preach from that position for the rest of the morning. Okay, so every time that you and I choose to sin, what we're doing is we're reestablishing our position firmly on the throne of our own lives, right? Now, what, who sits on thrones? Kings, leaders, right? So I'm ruling my own life. I'm choosing my own way. I'm deciding my own fate. I don't need God. I'm, I do it myself just fine. Do you know the things that I get anxious about? Things that are sometimes often way beyond my control, Right? I like to be able to fix it. I like a plan. I like to go, okay, so here's what happened. Okay, we can fix that. We can fix that. Here's what we'll do. We'll go and do this. We'll spend some money here, and there we go. we fix the problem. When I can't fix the problem, when there is no spend some money, go here, do that, and it's beyond me, that's when I'm anxious, right? That's when I'm stressed out. Why? Because me sitting on the throne is not capable of being able to fix what just happened, or what is coming up in my life. So then as a believer, what do I have to do? I go, okay, Lord, um, I can't, I can't, um, I can't fix it. I can't, well, but maybe if I, no, no, I can't fix, I can't, well, no. Lord, I, I, it's beyond me. I don't know how to do this. Um, so I think you're, I mean, you're going to have to, you're going to have to intervene. Oh, you're, oh, oh yeah, you're, you're going to have, you're going to have to intervene. Yeah, you, okay, okay. Right? And then I go, and I get out of my, get out of the chair. Right? But then what happens? <laughs> then I'm like my children. Every time there's a video on my iPhone, I'm like, so what you doing? Right? Like they're hovering around me. They're on the edge of the couch. They're like, what's going on? You want to watch like Moth to a Flame, man. Turn a YouTube video on, and my kids come running from all four corners of the house. What's Dad doing? There'll be one on your head. There'll be one on, like, this is eventually how, how we, we work, though, in our own, with the throne of our lives, eventually, Right? Like, we get out of the chair because we realize we are incapacity to do any of this, but then we wake up the next morning and we feel a little better about ourselves. 
one little more encouragement. So we're like, you know, hey, God, if you would, um, I'm just saying maybe if, if, you, if you wanted to do it this way. Seems like a good way to me, right? Like I'm telling God how to do it. And before long, what happened? I've just, I've just immediately sat right back on the throne of my life. And, the, and sometimes I even stay out of the throne long enough for God to actually fix it. And the moment he's fixed it, I'm like right back in it. Thank you, Jesus. Appreciate that. I got things from here. You take it easy, right? This is ultimately, this is, the, this is everything you want, everything that you want to do, right? Ultimately, God doesn't know best for me. He doesn't, why would he give us such a glorious gift and then reserve it only for marriage? That's just narrow-minded. Why would he say this is how it has to work and this is what doesn't happen? Why would, why would he give us all of these instructions if he really wanted what was best for me? Right? I don't know that he is. I think maybe I should just stay in my throne. Whatever sin that we follow, whatever things that we go. Do you know, let's just step back and look at it from a different perspective because maybe you don't buy that with me. Do you know why you, why you can be tempted? Why can we be tempted? We can be tempted because the serpent dangles out that we can be tempted. We can go, um, did God really say that's bad? How can it be bad when it's so good? Right? We go, well, you know, God said, no, we shouldn't. And he's like, yeah, but really? I mean, look. Well, I mean, maybe just once, right? There's no temptation at all if we are firmly rooted in the fact that God is solely on the throne of our life, right? Because any enemy comes and goes, hey, look how fun it is. And we go, yeah, but look how awesome. I mean, <laughs> why, would I, why would I give up this for, for that? Why would I follow that when I, I, have, I have him here? Why? Why would I do that? So the bottom of our world, the core of everything, like when I get angry, I get angry because it's not going my way. Right? The things don't happen the way I need them to happen. My expectations aren't met. So then I'm frustrated and anger, and I can lose my anger and, and become sinful because I am entitled. <laughs> I want what's best for me, and currently you, not obeying, little person, is conflicting with that. Right? All of them at the root of everything is ultimately me guarding and directing my life for my own best self-interest in my opinion. Not for God's, in God's opinion. Now, to all the problems come as a result of this, this lie. Now, I think we don't see it because it's very odd to our nature now. Um, there was a young man, and I wasn't really good friends with him, but he was um, really good friends with some of my good friends, and so, um, so it affected our little group of people. This guy's name was Carlos, and Carlos got lung cancer at 16. He didn't smoke. No one in his house smoked. It was really sad. Um, and then very quickly, it deteriorated, and he died. 16 years old. Um, that's one of those ones where you really want to ask, what, 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 why? And um, I think a lot of people did ask, why, God, why would you do that? Um, do you know who didn't ask why, God, why? Carlos. <laughs> they had his journals that he was writing in through the last several months of his life. Um, and everything they read in his journals was Carlos praying for his friends, his family, 
seeking to follow and finish well with the Lord. That goes against our concept of an understanding because we are still rooted deeply in the lie. And not to say that Carlos lived a perfect life where he did this all the time, absolutely not. But there at the end, there at the end he refused to believe the lie and looked forward to meeting the king of his life face to face. So then here's the last thing we think, what does God do with that then? How does he handle that? We, we bought the lie of the snake. We allowed the attitude of, of God, of, of the lie to sink into our lives. We bought the, the lie. Did God say, is he really for you? And now as we've purchased it, when even Adam bought that and entered sin into our world, now we defend it at our core whether we really understand that or not. So how does that handle that? How does God do that? Here's the two things that made us. As a result of that whole situation, we're hiders. You and I are hiders. I am, my kids, hide and seek is a big game. It's a fun game. Um, it's one of my, it was one of my favorite games growing up, right? But do you know what part I didn't like about hide and seeking? The seeking. <laughs> we used to play Marco Polo in our pool. I would cheat. So I didn't have to be it very long, right? Go underwater, open your eyes, and see where everybody's at, come back up, Marco, pull, go in there again. I, didn't, I don't like the seeking part. If we go back over our life, look at it through that lens, I suspect there's lots and lots of times where we'll realize that we hid from things that we maybe should not have. Like, it's, it's why the whole flight concept of difficulty of response to fear and response to conflict. I'm not a conflict-based person. I prefer to hide. Hope it'll go away. I always liked hiding. I didn't like seeking. Do you know who does the seeking now? God. So we hide and God seeks. We can read over and over in the world that he came to those that, that came to his own but his own did not believe him and his own did not accept him. They didn't love him. They didn't care for him. We're the hiders, God's the seeker. So how does he seek us? Look in verse 8, right there at the end. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord in the garden as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God didn't need to know. He didn't have to ask Adam where he was. He knew where he was. It was God. He knew, I'm sure, immediately what had happened. He knew what was going to happen when he put the tree in the garden. But what's he do? He comes to seek them. And then many years later, the way he seeks us now, because we're hiding, but we're not really still literally cowering naked in a garden somewhere. So who did he send? He sent his son, Christ, to come, Jesus, shows up in love and care to seek us out. Right? The Bible tells us about it. He did not choose, we didn't choose him, he chose us. Now, regardless of where we land in that theological big thing, the basic concept is that God is looking for me and for you. He would desire for us to be reconciled to himself. And he sent Jesus to accomplish that. So see what he did as he reversed the sin of the tree, right? So like the sin of the tree was I decided to climb on the throne of my life myself, 
be my own master, be my own God. What does Jesus do? He comes and he climbs up on a tree of death. We call it a cross. And he takes our penalty and our sin and our death on himself. And through his resurrection brings life. He reverses the sin on the tree. He put himself where we deserve to be. Because I'm the one that deserved to be on the tree of death. I'm the one that rules my own life 90% of the time and refuses to let God have his way. I don't look to him. I don't treat him like God. I don't love him the way God intended for us to love him. He put the tree in the garden so that Adam and Eve could have an opportunity and a choice to choose their way or his way. He wasn't going to just create a mindless drone of a robot that says, I love you, over and over again. He desired to give them a choice. And he made himself available so that they would realize he is God and we are his children. And we would desire to obey him, not because he is forcing us to, but out of the understanding that he loves us and desires for good things to happen. So we follow him and we obey him. Adam, and Adam did not. <laughs> so Adam in the garden, God says, hey, look, obey me and everything beautiful is yours. You have paradise. You have everything you want, everything, and Adam didn't obey him. To Jesus, God says in the garden, right, obey me and I crush you. And the second Adam obeys. He crawls up on the tree of death and he purchases our salvation so that we then get the tree of life. Right? We look at the end of this story and we see that there's a tree of life in the middle of the city of God where we are his children and he is simply our God and he sets everything right. The only way we can continue to try to get off of this is when we realize what Jesus has done. <laughs> when you realize that he loves you to that level, then it's easy to trust that his goodness for you, isn't it? It's easy to see his love for you. When we realize the character of God and we realize what he has done so that you and I could be free, it's impossible to think that he does not have love in his heart for us. It's impossible to think that he is just out to hold us down. And in fact, we realize that he is ultimately for our joy. And our joy is to be found and made complete when it is rooted in him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you overcame the sin of the tree You reversed um, the death that was due us and in turn have given us life. My f one of my favorite verses is where you say, you came that we might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. Let me, we realize this morning that underlining of our life is, is the lie of the snake. It's the lie of the serpent that we have bought into. Lord, 
Lord, may we get off the throne of our life because we've seen your beauty and your love for us. It's in your name we pray.